everyone. My name is Dr. Dolores Tarver. I'm a licensed psychologist here in Georgia, and it is time for the TT Time with Dr. Tarver is a podcast that is focused on helping people learn skills to build their wellness. It is not intended to be a substitute for a relationship with a licensed provider. It is May Mental Health Awareness Month, and we are focusing this month on mental health and all kinds of things relationships with our family members in the workplace and this week religion and spirituality and I know that you all are probably looking forward to this one as much as I am because if you were raised in the south at the very least or have any kind of roots then you likely had some kind of religious upbringing and oftentimes we think that mental health and religion cannot exist together and they most certainly can so welcome to the third week series in May which is you can have a therapist and have faith too, mental health and spirituality and religion. So I want to start by saying that there is a lot of misinformation out there about religion and spirituality. And oftentimes we feel that when people say they're spiritual and not religious, they're saying that they're atheists, but that's not what they're saying at all. So I am not at all a religious scholar, but do want to give you guys a little bit of information to kind of help with the foundation we'll be laying today as we talk about mental health, spirituality, and religion. So religion at its purest form is actually intended to guide us in creating a relationship with God to help us learn faith and forgiveness and grace and kindness to be able to give us a model by which to live so that we're caring toward other people and that also we follow some guidelines that are going to keep us safe and other people safe as well and has been twisted and used as a tool of oppression for a lot of groups including women and people of color however if you have a healthy religious coping and you have a healthy faith-based institution then that is going to allow you to work on that spiritual wellness, which is one of the wellness areas that I talk about. Similarly, spirituality, which is more self-based, is, hey, we're at our own pace, our own growth. It does give us a level of accountability, but also allows us to think about our connection to ourselves and the world around us. What's my meaning and purpose? Why am I here? And that I'm continually on this process of growth. So as you can see, both of them can be very helpful tools on your wellness journey. And they are not meant to be in opposition with each other. And in fact, you can be both spiritual and religious. And as I talk about this wellness area of spiritual wellness, I am talking about all of the ways that you can be healthy in your relationships, in your faith. And so it does not have to be exclusive and it does not have to be detrimental. And that's what ends up happening sometimes is that we end up getting these fallacies that we believe that a religion tells us that we're not worthy, we're not valuable. And we'll find out that there are a lot of shame-based ideologies that come out of that. And that's what I really want to talk about because that's where our distortions come from. Um, one of my favorite books right now that I'm reading is called Healing the Shame That Binds You. And that is by John Bradshaw. And Bradshaw talks about what happens when religion has been used as a tool of oppression in our lives, where we see God as this very punitive figure, almost magical, if you will, that's walking around looking at all of our transgressions and keeping score, and how we then 
end up internalizing these negative messages about ourselves, thinking, well, I'm already a sinner. I'm already preordained to make mistakes. And I'm, I, you know, I come from this place of that people talk about the original sin. So I'm already come from a bloodline, essentially, of people who have disobeyed God. So what does that mean about me as a person? And what that ends up doing for us is it affects our worth. So I want to talk about some of those distorted perspectives and how we can have a healthier understanding of who we are in respect to our faith, our spirituality, our religion, and be able to focus on our mental wellness. So here are some things I want to dispel for you all today. One, you can both have faith and also see a mental health provider. People will tell you that faith and fear don't exist together, and that's simply not true. Faith is a way that we often deal with fear. It's one of the mechanisms we use for coping. And I'm going to talk about the different types and styles of religious coping in a little bit. But it is absolutely possible to have a faith and to absolutely also have challenges that you deal with that cause you anxiety, fear, depression. Um, we know that people deal with all kinds of trauma. We know that people deal with uh, families that are unhealthy. We know that people are in relationships with people that are abusive. So... Me having faith does not mean that I have to stay in those type of relationships. And that's one of the other myths I want to dispel for you. Just because you follow a particular doctrine does not mean that you have to stay in something that's abusive. And oftentimes we will hear faith leaders say, you keep that tie of marriage no matter what. And I will tell you that that is detrimental to your mental health. So whatever you are following should not come from this place of shame or seeing you in a, an oppressed way, or being a message to you that you're deficient, it should be something that's encouraging to you and your wellness. It should be something that allows for you to have and you deserve healthy relationships in your life. Also, one of the things that I will commonly hear is that certain perspectives end up being that if you are not straight, so if you're not in a relationship with someone who identifies as a different gender than you, heterosexual relationships, and in some way you're deficient, you're sinful. Um, if you have a different gender identity than the one that maybe you were born with biologically, then you are a sinner. And I want to dispel that myth as well. Uh, we all were created to be loved, to be lovable, to walk in who we are, to be honest about who we are, to be safe in who we are. In any kind of faith-based institution that you're a part of or any doctrine that you're practicing should encourage you to be your true authentic self and we love to say here in the south in particular love the sin and not the sinner but what does that say about me that you're telling me that I'm, I'm a deficit that something's wrong with me I'm gonna love you anyway but let's just let you know let me just let you know that that you, that you messed up and how you think about things, right? So that's very ostracizing. And do we want to be practicing anything that's going to ostracize us from other people? Because again, remember at its foundation, religion and spirituality are about us being able to love and respect each other. So we don't want to be practicing something that's going to promote judgment of you or judgment of other people. And we also don't want to be practicing something that does not give you the ability to trust your own judgment, to be able to make your own decisions, to be able to interact with a variety of people. We don't want to be following someone who says that they are able to think better for you than you are able to think for you. You are an expert on yourself. So anything that you are following should be enhancing you 
It should not be telling you that you have some kind of deficiency in your less than, right? So why are you better than me, <laughs> uh, right? So, and I understand that we often look for books and religious uh, teachings and faith leaders um, and spiritual mantras to guide us, but that is not a replacement for you being able to make good decisions on your own. And we also wanna make sure that we're not following any kind of guide that tells us that someone is constantly watching us and keeping score. Again, looking at God as some kind of magical being up there. It's like, uh, uh, I saw what you did. You're going to pay for that because it gives people significant anxiety. And I understand that we have rules and values and guidelines and, and morality is one of the things that allows us to be able to think about other people. But I should not be so obsessed with thinking that every thought that I have, someone is keeping track of it. And now I've got to purge and do these things that are usually very unhealthy to try to even up the score, right? So we want to make sure that these are affirmation based, whether it's spirituality, whether it's religion, that we are following guides that allow us to be able to nurture the best parts of ourselves and grow because we do have areas where we need to, to grow. So let's talk about religious and spiritual coping. So there are a lot of different religious coping styles. I picked, um, I found an article that I really liked and it dealt with um, parents' religious coping styles in the first year after their child was diagnosed with cystic fibrosis. And so what this article talked about is what did parents utilize to get through this very challenging diagnosis with their little babies, right? So we know that when we first have a child, one of our biggest fears is something that's gonna happen. How do we keep this child safe? Um, and when you feel like you're so helpless, there's nothing you can do, you're often looking for things to be able to help you get through that difficulty. And that's where religious and spiritual coping can be very, very helpful. But there is positive and negative religious coping. And so we want to make sure that we're looking at things that are more positive because those are the things that have been shown to have a more beneficial effect on our mental wellness as opposed to the negative religious and spiritual coping, which tends to actually make our symptomology worse. So let's kind of talk about some of those things. So this article broke them down into uh, a few different areas. One was the ways we cope to get control through our religious coping, um, pleading. So you all have probably been in this situation at some point in your lives, right? Where we do this begging, God, if you will just, <laughs> Um, whatever it is that you believe in this higher power and you are pleading, like if you will just fix this situation, I will do whatever. I will live a life where I'm benevolent. I will help everybody that I can. I will do because you are in such this place of desperation and you're just trying to get some control over that moment. Collaborative is when we are working with God. Hey, you know what, God, I know faith without works is dead. And so I need to do my part. So if the doctor is telling me, hey, we need for you to follow these recommendations, then I can do that and I can pray. I can do that and believe in you. I can do that and follow these guidelines that I am utilizing in order to be the best version of myself in terms of my spiritual wellness. That is actually one of the more positive mechanisms of religious coping and tends to have the most positive outcomes because it does give you some sense of control, but you also don't feel like you're by yourself. And that's one of the ways that people are able to have hope, to able to think, okay, right? So I'm, I'm not in this alone and I know there's something out there, some uh, entity being, however 
you view that most high that allows you to be able to walk in this space because I know I'm not walking alone. Um, a, a more negative religious coping style is going to be this deferral based where, okay, there's no, nothing I can do like, God, you got it. Um, whatever you, you, you say is going to happen. And in some ways, people feel like because they're not fighting against it, they're able to have some control over the situation. That doesn't tend to necessarily work as well for a lot of people because it can lead to these feelings of bitterness. Then when I feel like the outcome that happened uh, was not something that I really wanted, something that I prayed for. I, I thought God was going to come through and God didn't. And so this sets up this resentment in me. And we'll talk about how people end up getting angry um, with God. Um, so those are the, the kind of to get control collaborative. Again, me working with God is one of the, the better ones in terms of mental health uh, to find meaning. Right. So it's always important for us to understand things. And, and that helps us a lot in our grief. And so oftentimes we are thinking about, OK, you know, how am I going to manage this situation? I've lost this person I very much love and care about. Um, and, and this is when I recognize God's power. And so I reaffirm for myself that, you know what, God's will be done. God has shown up, showed out a lot of times God can come and work it in this way, in the way that God does. And so that doesn't mean that I necessarily get what I want, but I recognize that whatever the outcome is, I'm going to be able to deal with it. Um, and if there is a chance that this person can can make it out of this situation, then, then God's the person to have in control. And so it is just more of the reassurance that I've got something that's going to allow me to be able to deal with this situation, no matter what the outcome. Um, the other part of that is also recognizing uh, my role in this, right? So we know that when we are trying to figure things out, oftentimes we, you know, we put the plan in place, like how can I manage this, what can I do? And, and it's overwhelming. As we talk about recognizing, you know what, God? You are going to manage this, so let me step back. Then it frees us up. Now, a negative aspect of this particular coping is, again, that this God is, a, a, is punishing us for something. And so my way of being able to get meaning is like, well, I deserve this. I did something bad. Uh, so now what's happening is God is is basically giving me my consequence for this bad thing or bad things that I've done. And that's why it's a negative form of religious coping. And, and you can see how negative religious coping really sets up uh, anxiety and conflict in our relationship with God or whatever the, the spiritual being is, because now I feel like you're doing things to get back at me because again, I'm not good enough. I've messed up. Right. And so it leads us to those worth issues again. So that's why that is not a, a necessarily the healthiest mechanism for coping. Um, trying to gain comfort, right? We, we try to do this in a lot of different ways. And, and one is to feel God's presence. And so this is sometimes when you go to that prayer closet or when you are with other believers um, and you're just trying to feel the presence of God, the, the, the songs that we end up utilizing. Um, it may be that Again, spiritual discontent. So now I'm mad with God. And this may be my way of, of getting comfort is because I'm able to express like I'm angry with you, God, because I don't like how this turned out. That's not what I wanted. Um, and God, if you really loved and cared about me, you would have given me what I wanted. My loved one would still be here. 
uh, and I know you all think, how can that make you closer to a person? Because I'm being honest. I'm being honest in this relationship that I have with God. I didn't like that. That didn't mean I stay in anger, but that's the place I am in that. And it is freeing to be able to release that emotion. Um, setting these religious boundaries, right? So what we'll say to ourselves is, hey, guess what? You are a believer. You have faith. You have hope. Don't forget those things. Even when you're dealing with something that's uncomfortable for you, that's a struggle for you, you still have these things that you can rely on. And so it's kind of like a spiritual pep talk, if you will. Um, being able to focus religiously. That's when we do our reading. That's when we're meditating. That's when we're praying. When we're really trying to be able to get something that will help us get through. And this also brings us closer to God in our relationship. All of these strategies are intended as a part of us reconnecting if we've lost connection or in strengthening our connection with God. And then um, this one is not as healthy. So this is the religious purification, which is um, essentially I, I need to atone for all of the stuff that I've done. So I need to, to um, be pure and get rid of these negative thoughts and get away from people and do all of this wonderful stuff and, and, and give back all of these things that I've gotten that I feel like are ill-gotten gain. Uh, right. So again, because I see I'm flawed, I'm being punished. So I need to purge. I need to strip myself. And you can see why that would be unhealthy, because, again, how does it make me feel about myself and my worth? And that every time something happens to me, I feel like I'm being punished. Then how I'm going, how am I going to live in life? I'm going to live a life of fear um, and I'm probably going to be fairly isolated uh, because I'm going to want to put things out of my arena to potentially be uh, triggers for me or temptations for me. So, you know, doesn't really sound like a, a very fun life. So I know you all are thinking, why would I want to utilize religious or spiritual coping? Why do I need to focus on my spiritual wellness? So let's talk about why spiritual wellness is good for you and also how we can replace some of those distortions with more positive things. Spiritual wellness is about meaning and purpose. Everyone has a purpose. And as you are walking in that purpose, it allows you to be able to grow and it allows you to be able to nurture healthy relationships and experiences around you. That's why it's part of our wellness area. One of the things that we know works well to manage a variety of mental illnesses is having something to get up for every day. What is my why? And spiritual wellness gives you a why. Whatever that connection is, whether that is your connection to a faith-based institution or a group of believers or a doctrine or discipline that you follow, it gives you a why. It gives you a purpose. It gives you a meaning. And that is going to allow you to be wealthy, to be well and healthy. Wealthy too, maybe. I want you all to also be aware that spiritual wellness is an individual journey. It doesn't look the same for everyone and nor should it. So I don't need you to be comparing yourself to other people about, oh, well, they know more scripture or they're farther along in this 12 step program. Because as you all know, a lot of the recovery programs are based on these steps, which include an aspect of spiritual wellness. And a lot of components of treatment do incorporate spiritual wellness. Now, they incorporate a lot of other things, too, because spiritual wellness is integrative. So it means it encompasses a lot of different areas, which is why I can be focusing on my spiritual wellness and my mental wellness and my physical wellness and my financial wellness, because it's never seen in opposition to anything else. 
And what it recognizes is I need to be working on all these different aspects of me because I'm a whole person. I'm not just a limited person who has one perspective and only one area that I need to focus on. In order for me to grow, I need to nurture multiple areas, right? This is why we plant multiple things because sometimes stuff doesn't grow. <laughs> so that is the same thing that we talk about when we're nurturing this spiritual wellness. And it can involve a lot of different things. It does mean that you can go to a place of worship, but that doesn't mean the only thing that you do with your spiritual wellness. Yes, you can read scripture, you can have mantras, you can do yoga, you can do meditation, you can commune with nature, you can meet with spiritual leaders and other um, people of your faith, you can listen to podcasts, watch videos. There's a lot of different ways that you can nurture your spiritual wellness. What we like about spiritual wellness is that it gives us another resource tool to work through transitions in our lives, to deal with those losses, to be able to be affirmed even in our fear. Because again, I can have faith and still have fear too, but I have these things that I can fall back on that will allow me to be able to address it. When I'm in my deepest, darkest place of sorrow, this spiritual wellness gives me hope. It allows me to recognize today wasn't real great, but tomorrow could be a little better. And these are important as we're talking about working through difficulties, traumas that we have in our lives, things that happen to our children, things that happen to our partners, um, all of the pandemic <laughs> that we have been experiencing. A lot of people have had to figure out ways to nurture their spiritual wellness to be able to get through. Spiritual wellness helps with grief, depression, um, sobriety, right? So we've talked about substance use um, and, and their transitions, the trauma, all of these things. And so we want to also use it in preventative ways. So, hey, if I have a foundation, because again, the foundation is either uh, growing closer in my relationship to God or growing in my purpose or growing in my connection to the environment around me, learning how to be um, a person who uh, gives people grace and who is understanding uh, and, and recognizes that, that we're all going to make mistakes and, but can learn to forgive and connect and be empathetic. You know, so I'm growing in all of these areas. That's prevention for me to not have some of the significant consequences that may happen. So it buffers, buffers stress, but it also can buffer and, and, and kind of temper, if you will, some of the mental health disorders so they don't get as bad. I don't fall as far down into the depths of depression. My mind can be able to be eased a little bit so I'm able to release some of that anxiety, right? So it can be preventative as well. Um, often spiritual wellness is something that we do with other people because that allows us to have that accountability. You don't feel like you're alone. And if you feel like you get off track, right? The accountability piece, if I feel like I get off track, not only do I know where to go, but also if I'm hurting, I'm in pain, I have some people to support me because what we know about grief is sometimes when we share it, it lessens the load. So what do I say all of that to say? I say all of that to say, these are ways that you can replace the distortions that you may have developed over the years based on some things that you have, may have been taught. And it was shared in the space of religion or spirituality, but it was not based on the actual, again, at their purest core, were meant to be very loving, nurturing, caring guidelines for us. They were never meant to be oppressive. Um, people have used them as tools of oppression. 
and to keep people in situations that are harmful, to get control over people as tools of manipulation, but they were never meant to be that. And so I need to change how I view myself as a spiritual or religious person and make sure that I'm only doing things that are affirming, things that are guiding, and things that are gonna allow me to continue to, to grow. God has given us multiple resources to be healthy. There is not just one way to get anywhere. So make sure that whatever you choose to utilize in your spiritual wellness is actually allowing you to be well. All right, you guys take care.